Chapel Hill. Uh, this is a good moment. If you do not have a Bible, raise your hand. We're starting with some ushers now. We've got our first usher, Rui. Look at him looking there all dapper, ready to go. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and do that. If you want to be brave and make the change from digital, there we go. We got one. We got one. Oh, we got two. We got two. Yes. And if you want to be brave and move from the digital world to the old hard copy, also raise your hand. It's better that way. And I'm sticking to those words. All right, um, a friendly reminder, we've got the Deep South Men's Conference. Make sure that you sign up. If you haven't signed up already, I'll find out because we're going to have a list out there at the welcome table of folks who are confirmed and registered. Uh, that's mainly because men, I'm going to be putting a group uh, correspondence together with some things before the conference and while we're there also. So make sure that you sign up. And you heard we've got the men's ministry breakfast kickoff uh, for the men's ministry, which is be men of God. And the be bond servants, eternally minded men of God. So really looking forward to that. That's going to be Saturday the 23rd from 8 to 9.30 a.m. And again, check your emails, sign up for stuff to know, get all the details so you know what's going on. Um, also, church, a reminder for us to keep everyone at UNC in our prayers. Um, that was truly... Uh, sad event this past week and a moment where we need to remember to not just pray for the people that are at the campus, also pray for the suspect, pray for salvation for the people there and pray for the reality of people to not take these situations and try to move their own agenda forth. Um, it broke my heart when it was first breaking down. I'm reading a news article to try to understand what's going on. And the last line is, UNC supported the Supreme Court in turning over affirmative action. What that had to do with what was taking place in that moment, no link for me. And it's a further reminder of why we need to go forth with the gospel, why the gospel is the equalizer, because we're all equal in sin. And we all need Jesus. And there's one race, human, that he designed. So it is an important charge for us as a church to be in prayer at this time that people would think eternally. People would wonder and want to know, when I breathe my last breath, where will I be? Where am I going? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for time that we can come together, Father God. And we do lift up everyone at UNC, Lord, even the people um, of this precious church that are there, Lord God. When things like this happen, Father God, only you know the different ways that it affects different people, Lord God. And I just pray that you continue to minister to these people throughout the weeks ahead, the months, the years, Lord God, and that we would remember to just check in with anybody that we know, Lord, because being in a lockdown situation, anything like that, Lord, it, it can just do so much to an individual. And I pray that um, anyone suffering from that, Lord, would look to the character and evidence of who you are. And Lord, we pray that people would come to know you, would come to salvation, Lord, as they look at death and see that it is a reality. We are all guaranteed to die, Lord God, but we can come to you to have eternal life. And we just pray for that to happen, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, amen. So last week we were in the Passover and we got to see Jesus going to Jerusalem. He goes into the temple. The temple has been turned into a marketplace and he clears the temple out. He clears it out. And it was a call last week, a charge for us to search our hearts and cleanse ourselves. Now there's something with that temple passage. I could have easily spent that morning telling us all, go call out all the sin that you see in the world. Go tell everybody you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're bad, you're this, you're that. But that was not the focus. And I want to remind us of a passage, Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. 
I share that as a reminder for us because it's important when we're seeing sin and as we go through this gospel, we're going to see more and more moments where sin is being called out. It's important that we don't get what so many Christians get excited about. I can't wait to tell that person how bad they are. I'm going to show them. No, you need to look at yourself. You need to remember that the word of God is a double-edged sword discerning the thoughts and the intents of your heart. Yes, sin does need to be addressed, but actually look at yourself and look at the mirror and work on yourself before you fixate so much on another individual. So it is very important that we remember that and that we be a body that prays for that so that when sin is called out, we pray, Lord, search my heart. Show me where there is sin in me. And then that turns into a testimony of repentance. That turns into a witness that you can share with a brother or sister. So again, as we're going through this, I just want us to be mindful that we don't get that, oh, I'm those liberals, those this person. Let's not go there. Let's not go there. Be sure to embrace the conviction for yourself. Because far too often, and we're going to see in today's passage as we look at the heart of seeking, far too often we're deceiving ourselves in our seeking. We're shaken, we're yesing, we're amening, but the heart's not where it needs to be. And we can't have that. So we're going to continue today, and the title of today's message is The Heart of Seeking. And again, if we think for those of us uh, who are delved into Psalms right now, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart, is what we see in Psalm 9, 1 and 2. And remembering that we need to praise with our whole hearts. And as we go through today, yet again, another opportunity to ponder, where is my heart before the Lord? And remember what God's word tells us about the heart. In Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9. We've got to realize that. Now, when we go through this text today that we're looking at, we're going to see three different hearts. We're going to see the Jews who question. We're going to see disciples who follow. And we're going to see believers who believe in his signs. We're going to see the my way heart. We're going to see the his way heart. And we're going to see the fake way heart. And again, the charge from last week was to embrace conviction. Was to have yourself go into prayer and search, ask the Lord, search me. Where do I need to come before you in repentance. Did you do it? Did you take that time actually going before the Lord, seeking where you need his cleansing? Did you ask the Father that? Guess what? Do it daily. Do it throughout the day. That's how we abide in him. That's how we live in him. So let's stand and we're going to read chapter 2, verses 18 to 25 this morning. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them, because he knew all men, and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have it. Thank you that we can gather this morning and freely worship you, Lord God. Freely come into your word. Lord God, I just pray that you would help us to put distractions aside, put the thoughts of what needs to be done after this aside, and just focus on you, Lord. Holy Spirit, I ask you to fill me in this moment, fill me with your power, fill me with your anointing, to deliver the words that you need your people to hear this day, that every word would be what is needed, Lord, and that it would penetrate the heart, minds, and souls of this body unto salvation for the one who doesn't know you, and unto refining for those who call you Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. So when we start this, we see, so the Jews answered. 
And remember, we saw in verse 119, now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him. Remember, the Jews had come to ask of John. And when we saw that, we talked about how in this gospel you will see the Jews written. And it's not saying every single Jewish person. It is referring to the religious Jewish leaders at that time. Now, the temple clearing, Jesus showed his authority. And in the act of clearing out this temple, he's doing an act that would represent as Messiah. And they come to him and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? They're saying, you just did this big thing. We want to know, give us a sign to say, by, by, by what authority are you doing this? Why are you able to do this? Now, what's interesting, he just cleared the temple showing his authority, one has to wonder what further sign do you truly need? And one has to also realize in that moment, say he were to do some sign, I don't really believe then at that point it'd be, well, what other sign can you do that you would truly believe? Because ultimately, the heart of these religious leaders is that it has to be according to their way. We learned in the introduction of this book about the fact that there would be many spiritual truths that are delivered by Jesus. But those spiritual truths wouldn't be understood because they were blind to it. The heart was too hardened. There's no desire to actually know what is truly being said. And the questioning here, if you look and you're just reading it and it's the first time, I remember when I first got saved reading this, it, it seems somewhat innocent. They're just saying, you know, by what, show us a sign. How do you do this? But we will see and we know how that line of questioning that might seem innocent leads to death because more and more they want to make sure this guy isn't in the way of our way. Their religious heart, their prideful heart. What we have here in these religious leaders is a portrait of what I'm calling the my way heart. The my way heart, which is rooted in my own rules, my own explanation for Jesus, my own way for justifying Jesus. And that's something we see in our culture today. The film that we're going to be showing on Wednesday, I hope many of you can come out for it. it it's a little long. We'll split it Wednesday, Thursday. But in that, there's so much where we see the discomfort of the reality of who Jesus is. People decide, okay, well, I'm going to make him this. He's a loving God. He can't have wrath. He can't have judgment. He can't have all these things, which is ever present in our culture today. Permit everywhere. We're stuck on self. We're stuck on, it's got to go my way. I have to fit Jesus in my box of logic. And we're going to see as this goes on, truly with the heart of these religious leaders, no matter what is going to be presented, if it can't fit their logic and their way, it's not going to matter. And they're going to try to put Jesus in their logic in this. Now, verse 19, Jesus says to this question, Jesus answered and said to them, notice, he answered, this points back when we talked about the temple, when we talked about the clearing. Some people want to get stuck on the violence and the anger in that moment. It's about the authority. And we saw he took the time to make the cord of whips. He doesn't act out of impulse. He takes the time. And now when they come with the questioning, he doesn't get upset. He doesn't say, he doesn't, there's not in here, Jesus angrily answered. Jesus furiously answered. Jesus just answered. He just goes to lay forth to them, this is what's going on. There's no violence in this. It's just him answering the question, not looking for debate. And that's an important thing for us, not looking for debate. And what does he say? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. This is going to be a pattern that we need to realize throughout Jesus' mission. He's got one mission from the Father. And every time he speaks, he's pointing to that mission. And in his answer, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up, he's pointing ahead. He's not getting lost in the present moment. He's on a mission. And he's giving a huge spiritual truth in this moment, but it's misunderstood. Again, we talked about it when we started this book. They're going to misunderstand because there's blindness. They don't want to see that. And we're going to see... With the religious leaders, he's always going to give those answers that have so much more than what they do, taking it solely at surface level. Jesus says here, I will raise it up. He doesn't say, destroy this temple, 
and in three days, I will build it again. That's not what is said. In three days, I will raise it up. Now, these words that Jesus says come back, and they come back in a way that they are misused. They come back in a way where they're distorted. Turn with me to Matthew 26. This is when he's facing the trial with the Sanhedrin, and we look in verse 59, Matthew 26, verse 59. And I've been excited that more of us are digging into the word and following along, so we're trying to put the scriptures up here so you can get the references there, but I'm loving that we're digging through the word, so keep on digging. All right, so here we go. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. So we see here, they take what he has said and they twist it. Turn with me now to Mark. I'm going over to the next one, 14. And we're going here. Youth group, I could ask one of you to just teach on this because you know it. So anybody want to come share? No? Okay. Mark 14, verse 57. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. And look at what we're looking at in the text. We're actually there. And if we look at what Jesus says, he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. But here in Mark, we see they say that he says, in three days I will build another made without hands. Those words aren't there. They're taking what is said about him and they misuse it. They twist it so that they can make it say what it they want it to say so that they can paint Jesus in a way that makes their advantage go because again this is stemming from the my way heart the heart that wants it my way and if we go further where we are in Mark 15 when he's on the cross pouring out all for us verse 29 of 15 and those who passed by blasphemed him wagging their heads and saying aha you who destroy the temple and build it in three days save yourself and come down from the cross so not only do they misuse his words then his words are taken and distorted to taunt him to taunt him now for us as believers there's something to gain in looking at this we can't be surprised at persecution for his name that's one piece that we need to realize. And we also need to remember when we say persecution, not persecution made by your own mess, genuine persecution for standing for the gospel. There is a difference. But in our world of social media, in our world of news, where you say something about Jesus and they snap on the one part that they want, so then suddenly, this pastor is a homophobe, this pastor is a this, 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 and that. That's the world that we are in. And it's taking it out of context. And for us, it has to be that place where we could be facing true persecution for the gospel's sake, and we could say, Jesus has me, and then they quote that, ha, he said Jesus has me, and he died. No, actually, Jesus did have, because I know where I go eternally. Or it's that person who's ill, and they're saying, Jesus has healed me, and then they die. How did that healing happen? They have been healed. They've been taken out of the sickness, and they're with the king forever. But it's taking the word of God and putting it in a different way, putting it in a different light. When we look at the Psalms, we've seen with David in the Psalm where he faced false accusations, what did he do? He looked to the character of God. He looked to the evidence of God. That's what we need to focus on. And youth, you remember when we went through Mark, when we went through the end of the crucifixion, we saw the way Jesus just took it all steadfast, humbly, anchored in the Father's will. That's how we have to take it all, anchored in the Father's will. Now he says, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. With Jesus, the temple goes way beyond the physical. It goes way beyond that physical building. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Ephesians 2, 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief 
cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Jesus knows the power of the words he's saying there. Jesus knows the reality of what he means in the temple. And we have to remember what that means for us. Now, he says in this verse also, I will raise it up. He knows that he will. But when we look at Romans 6.4 or Galatians 1.1, we see God is doing the lifting up of him in the resurrection. And then if we look at Romans 1.4 or 8.11, we see the Holy Spirit is involved in the resurrection. Guess what? It's the triune God doing the resurrection. So we can't just hold to one portion of it. We've got to take all the references to the raising up in the resurrection. So when we then see destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up, we see a prophetical claim from Jesus' mouth that's going to be fulfilled and we see a portrait of his deity from these words. Jesus as the temple is now saying it's not about the building anymore. Now, not knocking a building. A church needs a building to a degree. Not really. You can meet anywhere. But the reality is it's no longer about the building. And for us, with the whole word of God that are here, we're the body. We are the church, not 1129 Weaver Dairy. We are the church. In this sentence, Jesus gives spiritual truth. We see that. But what do they ask for? They want a sign. Now, as we go through, there's, and you look at all the different Gospels, you see other moments where they're going to say, give us a sign, give us a sign, give us a sign. And one place where that comes up is interesting because he does reveal a sign has been given. Turn to Matthew 12, and we're going to look at verse 38. And again, where we're looking here, surprise, surprise, who's coming to question the religious leaders? It's the same folks coming because they have a mission, they have an agenda. Why? They have the my way heart. They want it their way. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And again, in that, with their heart, I personally believe even if he did something, they were going to reject it because it's the my way heart. Verse 39, But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. He gave it. The word of God gave it. He's telling them in that moment, you have it. You have that sign. And truly, in the moment that they're right now here questioning him, they have that. It's been given. They would know that story. They would know of Jonah. It's been given. Verse 20. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? The my way heart. It's all about me. I have to self-justify Christ, and I need to self-justify away the truth. They don't want to see the spiritual truth. They look only at the physical. Now what's interesting, the timing of the temple here, the temple started to be built in 20 B.C., and they're saying it's 46 years, so we're at 26 A.D., but we also know when we look historically, the temple wasn't finished till 64 A.D. by King Herod of Agrippa. So what we see in this moment is they're saying, look at this, it's taken 46 years to get to this point, and you're going to do it in three days? No way. Again, they're not seeing the true spiritual truth that Christ is giving in that moment. The my way heart can't accept in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That verse right there, if you can't take that, none of this is going to make sense. We went through that in Genesis when I think we spent two weeks even on that one verse with Pastor David. Because the reality is if you can't take that, how are you going to take the rest of it? The my way heart can't take that. The my way heart of today is the heart that says, how can a loving God send his son to the cross? He's a child abuser. That's a reality that some will say, some do believe. And again, that's the my way heart because it's staying in my logic, my way of thinking. 
and my facts. Yet, John 1, 29, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb as a substitute. Yet, the temple, a violent death and a victorious resurrection. But they can't see it. Verse 21, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. That's the temple he's speaking of. And as if there were any question for us, John makes it crystal clear. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Now last week in 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 9.16, 3, 9.16, 1 Corinthians, not turning there, we saw our bodies as his temple. We talked about that. We talked about the cleansing that needs to happen. How does that happen? It happens because of Jesus. It happens through the saving grace of Jesus giving his body for us. But what does the temple mean? Recall what the temple means. It's an important element of Jewish faith. God dwells in it. All of the ceremonies, all of the feasts, all of the sacrifices happen in the temple. The temple is central. It is vital to the faith. And Jesus is now saying, he is the temple. He rids it. In Jesus saying this, in Jesus speaking of the temple as his body, he ends the Jewish religious system. There's a new sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's a new temple, Jesus. And next week as we get in chapter 3, we'll see the new birth. Yet, Jesus' truth is denied by them. It's denied because they explain it away. Their explanation, how can you do that? It's 46 years and you're going to say three days? No way, can't happen. Their heart doesn't want to take the truth because the my way heart doesn't want to dig in. Jesus gives the spiritual truth because in the way Jesus answers, he's telling us something, saints. He's reminding us, I want your heart to want to dig deeper. I want your heart to want to ponder, to want to dig. It's the full heart versus the my way half heart. What's that half heart? That half heart is hearing what you want to hear. The half heart is the heart that even in this moment sits in this sermon and hears and hears what they want to hear, how they want to hear it, to do what they want to do because they got a my way heart. And they're not yielded to Jesus. They might look like it, but they're not. Inside, the heart isn't where it needs to be. Pulse check. Do you listen with a full heart or do you listen with a half heart and hear what you want to hear? You need to search your heart, saints. We can't have superficiality of the heart in this church because we can't be who we need to be for the king. We're made by him and for him, which means we must give the full heart, which means we must Seek his way, not our way. It's never our way. It's his way. Verse 22, therefore, whenever we see a therefore, remember what came ahead. We just went through what came ahead, so I'll spare you. When he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. The temples cleared his answer to the leaders, they were there. They would see this answer. Right now we have a portrait of the his way heart. What I'm calling the his way heart. Jesus rose and they recall the words that he spoke. How would they recall? Flip a few pages to John 14. The Holy Spirit. In John 14, 15 we read, If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, this is one piece in the context of the Holy Spirit I think we forget way too much. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's the whole heart his. That's the whole heart yielded to the word of God and the word of God alone. And then we read verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So there's that beautiful gift and promise of the Holy Spirit that's going to be in us, that's going to be with us. Then go to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So how would they recall the, when after he's risen, the Holy Spirit would give them the ability to recall, oh, he said he would destroy the temple in three days. That's, he was talking about the resurrection. And in Luke 24, 8, we see, and they remembered his words after the resurrection. And in that, an important reminder for us about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is so tied to his word, is so anchored to his word. The Holy Spirit comes to reveal and to cause remembrance. I shared when we were looking at the witness, that's when you ask the Holy Spirit, fill me up while I'm talking to this person. And you have that conversation and you're like, I don't know how I remembered all those Bible verses. I do, the Holy Spirit. That's why we have to be in the word because we don't witness with our emotions and feelings. We witness with the word of God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. So they would recall this. Also, they would recall Psalm 16:10. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. They would know that. They would remember that. That's Psalm 16:10. They would remember Isaiah chapter 53. That his way heart lets the word of God put the puzzle pieces together. See what we read of them here. They say, we see his disciples remembered that he had said this to them and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. The scripture, which is what we have as Old Testament, the word which Jesus said because he was live with them. We get his words in the New Testament. Guess what it means for us? The word of God. That's what we land on, the word of God. And we have to remember something with that because, again, more so now in our culture, we hear a lot, God told me, Holy Spirit told me, God told me this, God put this on my heart, the Holy Spirit put this on my heart. Not knocking that, but is it in line with the word of God? Are you listening with a whole heart that's in the word or are you listening with a half heart, hearing what you want to hear and self-justifying it? Because if you're on that route, I want to remind you of an entire movement that started out of God told me, the UCC church doing the God is still speaking movement. And in that movement, God told them a lot of things. The Holy Spirit told them a lot. So gay people were ordained. Women were ordained. The gospel was taken out of context and pushed away. The reality is we have to have it anchored in the word of God alone, saints. A his way heart sees, takes, receives, believes the word of God. That's the anchor. That's the purpose. And it's so important that we search our heart for that because we can't go the my way heart where we say, okay, I'm going to take it, but I'm going to use it the way that I want to use it so that it works for what I'm trying to do because out of that comes destruction. That doesn't glorify God. But look at this. How did they go? The scripture and the word which Jesus told them. And saints, if you're sitting here and you're like, okay, well, I know the Bible, but I, I'm, I'm a new believer. I don't know much. Read, surrender, trust, and then ask the Holy Spirit, give me understanding of what I'm reading. Holy Spirit, fill me with your presence that I can understand what I'm reading today. Holy Spirit, fill me with your presence that when I go home to visit family, if you're a college student on break, that I can share the gospel with them. And he is faithful to do that. It's that same Holy Spirit when that trial comes, when the thing that seems impossible to endure by the world's eyes, you go through with steadfast peace because you've relied on him and him alone. Now, verse 23 to 25. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So Passover comes, he did signs. The signs aren't recorded. We don't have a list of what was done. It would probably be some of the same healings and things that we've seen in other places of scripture. Yet verse 24 is very interesting. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. But before that, in 23, many believed in his name. Now, the believe there and the commit, it's the same Greek word, pistehua, which means to believe. So they believed in Jesus. Jesus didn't believe in them. What's going on there? Remember Jeremiah 17.9. We looked at it. 
The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jesus knows the deception and duplicity within man. He knows the deception and duplicity, and he knows how to search the heart. When we see in John 1, think of when he meets Simon. He knew. What did he say to Nathaniel? An Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How does he know our hearts? Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. We check it against the word. But what's going on here is what I'm going to call the fake heart. This is the fake heart. This is the heart that's, I'm going to fake it till I make it, which you can't really ever do with Jesus, folks. You can't fake it till you make it. But Jesus knows it is thin and superficial because look at what, how their belief comes. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs. Their belief is rooted in the signs. Their belief is rooted in experience. Belief is more than belief in signs. And we have to remember that because it needs to be about a heart and the heart fully surrendered. It's a pulse check moment. When you see that, are you more about experience or is Jesus enough? Is just sitting with the word of God enough? Or do you need to have an experience? A, okay, I feel like I did something. Or can you just sit in his presence? Do you respond to the miracles and signs? Is that when you feel close to Jesus? Or do you commit yourself fully to him, sign or no sign, because it's about faith for you. It's about faith in who he is. It's about faith that comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Romans 10, 17. That's where it comes. And if you look at Romans 10, 17, what's interesting is the verse right before that. And it's one of those moments, because again, that's a verse we quote a lot. But if you look at the verse right before, verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. They're not trusting in God's word, the people of Israel. That's what is being pointed out there by Paul. They're not trusting in the messengers of God. They're not trusting in that. That's not enough. They need a sign. They need an experience. They need something that helps them feel like I'm getting something out of this. Because ultimately, in that case, this isn't enough. Jesus later on is going to point to this again in John chapter 5, verse 36. But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. The works that he's doing bear witness of him. They show the heart of God to take care of people. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you. Because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And, they, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You can look at it, you can know it, but it's missing the reality of Jesus, the centrality of who he is. And in this case, the fake heart, that's the heart of, well, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I, I do good things. I'm a good person. And they might see a thing or two or hear of a miracle. Yeah, I, yeah, God's real. I'm a good person. I'm not too worried about that. Or it's a coattail Christian. What's a coattail Christian? You ride the coattails of family members and you go to church every Sunday. You're with them. You can talk Christianese, but when the Lord looks at your heart, it's a fake heart because it's not his. You haven't surrendered. You haven't given everything to him. And then, saints, we have to take it culturally in the time we're in. New apostolic reformation that's going on. NAR, as you may hear of. This is a movement that's all about the signs. To know Jesus, let's all talk in tongues like crazy. You don't believe in tongues, Vince? Not what I said. I believe in tongues biblically. Done in biblical order, because God is a God of order. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit done biblically, because God is a God of order. 
It's healing ministries that we see now in our culture where you can get this, you can pay money and come and you can learn about this healing ministry because we need healing ministries. Saints, we're in the healing ministry right now. The word of God is the healing ministry because we need healing of the sin-sick soul. Period. Basta così. That's the most important healing. So we need to understand that because we also then have the woke gospel permeating our culture. Another area where we take God's word, we twist it, we use it how we want. Now, if you're hearing this and it's not sitting well with you, are you listening with a whole heart or a half heart hearing what you want to hear? I'm not trying to be anything other than giving the word of God because we are called to abide in him. We are called to live for him. And when I read Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. When I read that, that breaks my heart because I don't want people sitting in this church with fake hearts. Don't have a fake heart. Don't have a my way heart. Have a his way heart. Surrender to the word. Surrender to his sovereignty. His sovereignty is a gift. This Jesus that comes, that we're reading of, that cleanses the temple, that says my body is going to be the temple. I'm going to be the new sacrifice. That's the king that we get to serve. That's the king that we get to have relationship with. Put aside all the gook people try to put around it and relish in Jesus. Relish in his word. Relish in the sovereignty that he is in control and we have the promise of eternity with him. We get to sing worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb forever and ever. Verse 25, and had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in man. God doesn't need man's approval. He's about God's glory. Jesus doesn't need man's approval. He's about God's glory. Jesus comes as the light. Darkness rejects it. The spiritual truths that require digging in deeper, even for us, we've got to dig in deeper, folks. Those spiritual truths, they're not wanted because guess what? They bring something we don't like, conviction. And conviction is essential. I said last week, and I'll say it again, conviction's a gift. It is a gift because it refines us to be closer to who he needs us to be. Conviction leads to the duality of reality. You either have conversion or you have opposition. That's it. There's no gray. There's no I'm almost there. It's either conversion or opposition. And we need to embrace it unto the conversion to be who the Lord wants us to be to refine the things in us that we need to refine. I keep saying his word, his spirit, his way. Notice it's not his works, his spirit, his way. His word. So today, again, we saw a portrait, three hearts. The Jews, which was the my way heart, those religious leaders. The disciples, the his way heart, because they anchor in the word that he's given. They believe the word, they root in that. And those seeking the signs and wonders the fake way heart. Which are you today? That's a question. Which heart is dwelling within you today? Take stock, answer that, only you know. Unsaved? Are you his? Are you on the coattails of a family member? And just going through the motions and, oh, everybody here thinks I'm a Christian, so I'm okay, cool. You're deceiving yourself. And actually do the work of going to the Lord this was not a fun prep week. Lots of wrecking personally. But it's needed, saints, because we have to refine ourselves for his glory. We can't be who he needs us to be as long as we hold to the my way. Well, I believe this. I've always thought this. Nah, 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 nah. Stop it. Knock it off. You've got to come to the place where you're willing to say, Jesus, I'm just going to go your way. Jesus, I'm just going to follow your word, period. When I was ordained as the pastor of this church, the charge that Pastor David gave me was one when I, see, I saw the passage he was going to use, and first I said, oh, he's going to teach that. I don't know if that's going to be the passage, and then it was. And as I'm getting ready to go to this conference in Georgia, it's a passage I'm revisiting often. 
I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. And this is the kicker that gets me. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That hits heavy when we talk about the heart. Because if we've got the my way heart, if we've got the fake heart, we're easier to fall off the course of his way. We're easier to drift to the side or to go to try that thing that they're not just using the Bible, they're using the Bible plus whatever manual they have and they make it look like they're really using the Bible but they're not taking the scripture in context and we run with it. We've got to just land in the word of God alone. We've got to land in the gift that we have when we see destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And it's the temple of his body he's talking about. We've got a relish in that. Today we have communion, which is a beautiful, beautiful time. We get to remember what our king did on the cross for us. And in that, I pray we come to the table with a his way heart. With that heart that's able to remember he gave all, I give you all of me, Lord. I want to be that living sacrifice. I want to be who you need me to be. Now, when we do communion, Paul in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight 28 gives us words to remember. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Let a man, and that's all people, brethren, examine himself. Now the passage we just looked at, I gave us three hearts to ponder. The my way heart, the his way heart, the fake way heart. Examine your heart before you come to the table. Take a moment to go before the Lord and ask him. Now this table, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you haven't come to the place of remembering and realizing your depravity and saying, I need a Savior, I need you to take the reins, I give you my life, this isn't it yet. And if you're in a place where right now you're stubborn and feeling, no, I, I disagree with that, I don't like the way that was said, I don't like this, I disagree with this or whatever, don't just come up here yet. Examine your heart. Ask the Lord, remove the my way. Remove the fake way that I'm going to remember you with my his way heart. A heart that's fully yours, Jesus. A heart that says, Jesus, the breath I breathe, I give you praise because you're sustaining me. I'm guaranteed nothing. A heart that says all I deserve is death. And by your saving grace, I have life. A heart that remembers I am new in Jesus. I am new. I am forgiven. I am redeemed. So before we come to the table today, I encourage you, empty yourself. We sang that song at the beginning, I surrender. I surrender. Here I am down on my knees again. Surrendering all, surrendering all. When you sang that this morning, where was your heart? Are you really surrendering all? And if you're not, go there. Because the things that keep us from surrendering all, usually tied to my way, selfishness, pride, doubt, unbelief, or fake way, because guess what, saints? When you do the fake way, it gets really comfortable. You get used to just doing what you want to do and no one's calling you out so you just kind of keep moseying. Stop. 
His way. His way. So again, we're going to pray in a moment and the tables will be open for communion. But before you come up, let him search your heart. Take that time to go before him and just surrender it. Lay it down. Lay it down because we have a God who forgives each time. It's such a gift. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Jesus, that you, oh, that you came for us, Lord. Thank you that you gave your body to be that sacrifice. Thank you for your body broken and your blood poured out that we can have new life. Oh, Heavenly Father, it is a gift that I pray we not take for granted, Lord. As we come to this table today, Lord, I ask you, search my heart. Search our hearts individually, Lord. Reveal where we're held to our way. Reveal where we're just faking it till we make it or going through the motions, Lord. That we wouldn't seek to try to logic it by our standards. That we wouldn't seek to only believe you when we have an experience or where we distort things in our lives to try to over make them signs and not just anchor in the promises of your word, Lord. I think of in the Psalms where David says, you are my glory. Because he knows your character. He knows the evidence of you. And that's enough, Lord. So Jesus, help us to be those people today, Lord. That it's just your word. It's just you. And we relish and that is enough, Lord. And that we fully surrender. That as we take the bread, as we take the cup we remember what it symbolizes and we say thank you for we are unworthy thank you in Jesus name Amen
sacrifice the gift of our king every day. We do this once a month, and it's a precious time that we get to come together in remembrance of him. And I just encourage us to go there in our hearts daily. Remember what he's done. Give praise unto him for what he's done. The king of kings. That song, I love, I, pr I worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. I worship you, O Prince of Peace. That is what I long to do. I give you praise, for you are my righteousness. I worship you, O mighty God. There None like him. Amen. Um, before we say farewell, I'm going to ask Ernie to come up here and Pastor David, Jeff, and the elders to come up. Just want to have a moment of prayer. Uh, some of you may know and some of you may not know, but Ernie is going to be headed to uh, Albania with Proclaim International uh, Ministries September 5th through the 16th or 19th? 19th. 19th. Uh, and this is a ministry that they, they go forth and they do, um, they link up with a local church, they do uh, performance there, and then they have opportunity to, through the performance, share the story of the gospel and then witness and disciple after. So just want to have us cover him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord, and we thank you. We give you that praise, Lord. There is none like you indeed, Lord. And I thank you so much, Lord, for our brother Ernie, Lord. Thank you for all that he does behind the scenes with all of our sound and tech and making sure that everything comes together for your glory, Lord God. And thank you for the way that he tends to your daughter, Leslie, Lord God, and the love and care that he gives there, Heavenly Father. And Lord, we pray for this trip that he is going to be going on, Lord. We pray for travel mercies. We pray for health. We pray for his protection, Lord God. And we just ask, Lord, that you Holy Spirit, fill him with the words that are needed in each and every single moment of his travels to share you, to share your love, and to just glorify you in everything that he does, Lord God. And Heavenly Father, I just pray that you minister to Leslie while her husband is away during this time, Lord God. They are a tightly woven couple, Lord, so this is a long time to be apart. So please just minister to her, Lord. Give them the right times to connect and talk on the phone, Lord. And again, just go before this, Heavenly Father, that... Names would be written in the book of life. And Lord, I pray for the local church that they're partnering with, that they would be ready to disciple these new believers that would come to know you, Lord, and make sure that they realize that it is a life of discipleship 24-7 seeking you, Lord. So thank you again, Lord. And we just love you, Lord. We give you all the glory and honor and praise. Thank you for meeting with us today, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Have a beautiful afternoon, saints.